0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Kelly Games Europe's weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A very warm welcome to the new season of This Sunday's Game. We're going to throw in with a two-part special interview with new GAA President Larry McCarthy. In part one, he will tell us just what took him to America and how important the GAA community is abroad for Irish and Non-Irish alike. I am delighted to welcome on a very, very special guest to throw in for this new season of this Sunday's game on Oughterall. Come and Larry McCarthy. Larry, you're very, wo- you're very welcome onto the show today. Well, thank you very
1: much for the invitation. Thank you to, for being here, um, although physically not there, obviously. Um, but I am back in in Europe after 36 years away.
0: Um, and adjusting and delighted to be on your your show this evening. Listen, you were never away now, in all fairness, because you were, you were, first of all, you were heavily involved in the GAA out in North America, and you were a very, very regular visitor home. And I know that myself from speaking with with many people back home and also with, of course, the, out, the, 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 the former president, John Horan. You used to turn up in the most unusual places. Well, yeah, I mean, I I suppose I was physically removed from the island, but certainly intellectually and mentally not
1: removed from the island and certainly not removed from the GA in any way. Um, You're a manifestation of itself. The GA gets into all sorts of quarters and and corners of the world. And so I was very, very much involved, obviously, all the time I was in America. Well, no, it wasn't actually. I spent seven years in the deep south in America um, in a town called Statesboro, Georgia, um, and there was no football team or hurling team down there. But aside from that... um, Yes, very much involved and very much involved in the GAA. And so physically removed from the island, I suppose, but intellectually,
0: not at all. Physically removed, but, you know, did you find it that Ireland never left you? Oh, yeah,
1: never did. Never did. Um, I mean, I went to America in the 80s um, and I suppose Gaelic Park on a Sunday was a mecca for us all, um, young and old and still to a certain extent is. Um, but Monday night was even a, a better night in New York around around the Irish neighbourhoods. Why? Because the papers came out and the local papers, the, the daily papers on the Monday morning um, and the local papers from around the country from the previous week, the previous publication day would have been Thursday, arrived into New York and somebody would be designated to go to the local or go to the, the news agent wherever it was, and bring them back to a bar and they were great crack, they were great nights, and you read voraciously about the local match or whatever was happening locally, and then, of course, the crack started in terms of the wins and the losses and whatever else. So, I mean, in in that context, the GA never left me. Um, And even while he was in Georgia, um, there's a great man in digital called Liam Ferry, who, when digital started up in Galway, started an internal newsletter for all the Irish people who were around the, the world working for digital, and he expanded it. And so Sunday evening, I would be looking for this email um, on a very, very old, you know, internet line, mo- telephone line in Statesboro, Georgia, looking to find what the results of the matches were that day, you know.
0: So you're right, it, it has never left me, it never left me. It's interesting you mentioned Lee because, of course, he was out here in Moscow and his brother was involved, or is still involved as far as I you know, up in Helsinki in Finland. So... You know, we, we kind of, it's just like little uh, Irish mafia spread around the world and we're all interconnected. We're never, we're never, we're never further than one person from each other. I mentioned that now going into 70s and 80s. And I mean, I remember I was in, I moved to Canada in 96 and dial up internet was ropey at best. And it cost a hell of a lot of money to phone home. How difficult was it then trying to keep in touch in the 80s?
1: Well, I was lucky in so much as I was obviously in, in, a, in a huge Irish city, um, or well, a cosmopolitan city that had a huge Irish population um, in in terms of um, in terms of New York. So it was relatively easy there. Um, and because, well, I mean, I, an older gentleman one day described Gaelic Park of the 70s and 80s, and even into the 90s, like the internet, you found out everything that was going on in Ireland in Gaelic Park on a Sunday. You know, every, somebody knew somebody because somebody had, and you're right, it was very expensive to be calling home at that stage, so the phone calls once a week were a tradition for an awful lot of people. Um, but I mean, you, you found out in this Irish community what was happening very, very quickly. Um, it was a bit more difficult personally for me down in George. I mean, there the were the telephone calls home and a ropey sort of internet. And I mean, remember in, in, the, in the early 90s, the internet was not exactly common either. You know, um, it was only beginning to develop. You and I are probably of an age when we we were pre-internet. Um, yeah. But you know, there's not many people around, perhaps now who are pre-internet can make that claim. But yeah, you were totally dependent on somebody bringing out a newspaper. Um, and I, I would often get you know three or four papers sent out from home, um, maybe two or three weeks late. But they were read voraciously, you know, in terms of keeping a connection and, and trying to figure out what was happening. But you're you're right. I mean, we're we're a whole. Network, I suppose, is the modern word to use um, of, of Irish people around the world where we, we turn up and, and we bring our games, and we bring our culture. Um, you also said we're a
0: mafia. Well, we're not as bad as the mafia, but we are a certain network, which is interconnected. <laughs> no, we're, we're a nice mafia. We're a gentle mafia, you know, so we're I, 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 I say mafia in the, the best possible sense of the word, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in a
1: positive
0: sense, yeah. <laughs> Many people move abroad for different reasons. How did you end up? Moving abroad, what, what took you away from the Emerald Isle? Oh, well, this is a long story. Um, I, I I ran the football club
1: in college, um, which was in Thorman College, um, and I, I never travelled when I was there. Um, but then in 1980, I was a teacher, a young teacher in Dublin. I had the summer off, so I headed to America. And I met a woman on the plane, just pure by chance. Boyfriend was playing for Sligo Football Club in New York. He threw the arms around her in Kennedy. He saw me waddling along on my backpack and he said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. What are you doing here? I said, I'm out for the summer. Come on. And so within an hour of landing in Kennedy, I was watching him play football for Sligo Football Club in Gaelic Park. The following Tuesday night, I went training with Sligo and I'm still with them. And that was in 1980. That's now 41 years ago. Moving on from that, I spent another couple of summers out out in New York, just simply enjoying myself. There was nothing more to it than that. Um, And then in 85, I decided I wanted to do some post-grad work. And so I literally called the manager of the Sligo football team in New York, a wonderful man called Jimmy Nicholson, and said, Jimmy, I'm thinking of coming out to America um, to go, go into a master's degree at New York University. Do you think I'd get a job that would keep me? And Jimmy said, yes. Now, Jimmy was also, aside from being a Sligo football manager, was the, a business agent in the Carpenters Union. So I knew there and then that Larry, Jerry, Jimmy Nicholson was gonna take care of Larry McCarthy. He did, I landed, I was made an apprentice carpenter um, and I was sent out onto a job site where I wasn't going to embarrass Jimmy, where I wasn't going to you know, collapse a building, I wasn't going to be a danger to anybody. And Jimmy's literally put me to work. And as a consequence of that, um, I was able to fund my way through New York University and subsequently through Ohio State when I went to do a PhD there. But I have no hesitation in telling you that if I was to walk into Seton Hall University tomorrow morning, Monday morning, if I was back in the States and somebody called me professor and they would, um, it's because of Jimmy Nicholson. And if Jimmy Nicholson had said no, um, I was, it wasn't going to happen. So I, a great deal of thanks to give to the Sligo
0: Football Club and to Jimmy Nicholson in particular. So, the GAA actually brought you through kind of okay, chance meeting on the plane and then absolutely at, at the airport. Absolutely, GAA got, got the you. GAA brought me through when you were graduated from Tolman. Because, I mean, you know, Tolman, of course, at the time was the uh top place for PE teachers to, to come out of, it was the only place in the Republic of Ireland at the time. You had to <laughs> up the, up that's the- a better way of saying it. we'll take the, the credit for being the top, but we also were the only. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> it was still good, like you know, like no one else could come up against you. So, did you did you ever reckon that you you know when you were say taking a, a gym class with first years that you'd end up lecturing in one of the elite academies in like a Division One school in North America? Absolutely not, farthest thing from my mind.
1: And I mean, even when I went to America to do the masters, it was just to sort of challenge myself intellectually. Um, and I was always coming back, um, but I had managed to get between the jigs and the, well, I did the masters and then had the temerity to suggest that my uh, advisor that it wasn't intellectually challenging. So she said, you know, why don't you go off and do a PhD? And I can tell you that there might have been a hard word said to her in terms of her querying her sense and sensibilities um, in terms of you're absolutely and utterly mad if you think you shouldn't need to do a PhD. Um, but I did. And so between the jigs and the reeds, I had got six years off um, in terms of, you know, my options then were to go back teaching in Malahide. And luckily, I got offered a job in the in University in the States. So Barbara and I decided that we would give the, the University in the States a shot. Um, and here we are, 36 years later.
0: We, we, when we were chatting the there we were night, we were speaking about Seton Hall, of course. Um, yeah. And the... The March Madness. I mean, how much how much of a difference? Because a lot of people they 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 might watch say the bowl, the bowl season, for example, American football, college football, oh, wow. or they might hear of March Madness. And yesterday myself I always mentioned March Madness to a, a group of master students who are doing sports management. Tell us a bit about the difference and say, just in college sports in America, how seriously are they taken and how much money and time goes into that? Uh, It's an industry.
1: Um, It's an industry designed to produce elite athletes in a big, big way. So if you're participating in sport in America, you do it essentially through the education system until such time as you become a professional. Um, And so Seton Hall has 14 sports, seven for male, seven for female. Basketball is our thing and historically has been. We're a member of the Big East Conference, which is 14 originally Catholic schools in the East coast of the United States. So places like Villanova, Georgetown, St. John's or Sells, Providence. Now the dominoes began to fall a number of years ago in, in terms of money and some of those schools left and some came back. And so now the, the big East conference is about 14 schools ranging from the East coast in St. John's and Queens in New York, all the way to Creighton, which is in um, Nebraska. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
1: so they're the, they're the 14, uh, sorry, they're the 14 schools we would regularly compete against in all sports. Um, the budget for the, the athletic department in Seton Hall University and it is relatively small is about 40 million. The facilities are second to none in terms of, of, of facilities we would have here um, in, in, in Ireland, I would suggest, but it's all geared towards producing elite athletes who will win championships and win national titles for you. Um, And so the basketball coach at Seton Hall University is the highest paid um, employee in the university. Um, He gets about two point nine million dollars a year and the male basketball coach. um, And they've they've had a good number of run for the last number of years. They were doing quite well this year in terms of the Big East conference. And then the wheels came off with about four games to go in the last four in a row. As a consequence of that, they fell, fell out of the big dance and the big dance is March Madness and March Madness is the top 64 teams in the country. Now, had they won the Big East Championship, so there's a Big East regular season and the Big East Championship and a big, big event every year, the first week in March in Madison Square Garden is the Big East Basketball Championship. It's a huge celebration of college basketball, but with all the razzmatazz and all the production and, and all, it's all geared for television um, and Fox have the the have the... the the contract at the moment for the Big East, um, so we fell out of that. We didn't win the Big East. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't get through. and Our regular season record wasn't good enough to get into the Big Dance. Normally, you would get about six schools from the Big East going in. Um, four went in this year, um, and so March Madness started on Friday and is going through over the weekend. And I've been following it religiously. Abel, Abelene Abilene Christian, for instance, beat Texas last night by a point, 15 versus a two a two seed. I mean, incredible stuff. Um, but I, I would suspect that I hope I would like to see Gonzaga win the whole thing um, and go through with
0: a, an undefeated season, which would be some some achievement, I can assure you. Fuck we hear it of course in GAA, we hear it in college sports as well about the Meant the money going in and yet you know they, they always bring up the college athletes who are starving and so on. Yeah. Do you think that maybe that okay, it's a very different situation in the States because they're being bred or developed to go into the drafts? basketball, hockey, football, uh, baseball as well. Um, do you think that because there is an upper echelon of professionalism that it puts more pressure on, say, the education of the athletes?
1: It do- Yeah, it does. I mean, the, the, the intent is, I mean, a lot of, because of the system that exists, um, a lot of these athletes have to go into the education system in order to showcase themselves, in order to be drafted, Uh, to get into the pros. Um, And it does put pressure on the education system to make sure that they get through the education system. Um, And over the years, there have been some scandals about people being kept eligible to play, or undoubtedly it does. But I mean, much of that then will depend on on the university itself. Um, Are you willing to recruit marginal students? Um, Are you willing to recruit people um, that in an ordinary sense might not make it at university. Some universities are willing to do it. Um, some aren't. And I would think that, well, I mean, I must admit, I've, I've been chairman of the University Athletic Council at Seton Hall for a number of years now. Um, the GPA, the overall GPA of all the athletic teams at the, at the university has gone up significantly in the last number of years. And the GPA in particular of the men's basketball team has shot up as a result of the work of Kevin Willard, the coach. Because he has gone out and recruited athletes who are not marginal, who are very, very good basketballers, who put us in the NCAA on a consistent basis, and who can still do well in the classroom. You know?
0: Again, again, that's important because we see that now in with you know GAA, because we don't have that professional element that's, you know. The sport is a sport in itself it's an it's a means yeah. to an end of like you know, you, you play through you make build up your network and so on and in talking about that in terms of what we mentioned of course at the very very start with the the network and, and there's um tommy smith who you would have known from gaelic park as well who's a, a second cousin of mine so he's yeah. a, that sort of family so like, i mean it's very it's very funny because in 96 this is a good one 96 uh, i was in canada we're playing in the in the regional league soccer and I was watching the European Championships from England. And there was a fella on TSN, the Canadian Sports Network, and was calling the game. And I said, God, where's that accent from? And it was like Tommy Smith. So I went on my one fall call home on the Friday. We came home from a match and we got bet. And I called my dad to let him know how it was. And I said, Do we have any relations called Tommy Smith from And He goes, Yeah, we do. i from Haggerstown." And a few years later, then Tommy and I connected and we stayed in contact ever since. So it's kind of a, but he, but he, he's very much GAA. So in terms of Irish moving abroad, just let's start with that Irish moving abroad. How important is the GAA for like having the open arms and welcoming in uh, immigrants or even people who are there for a, a short wee spell? Well, it's extremely important. Um, you're, you're going into different cultures. You're clearly going into a different,
1: um, different country. But I mean, having a friendly face to give you the start, as they say. Um, is extremely important. Um, And that's what happens to thousands of us around the world. I mean, I'll give you the example of my chance meeting with with Carmel Fardy on a plane, um, and here we are. Um, But I mean, going into Gaelic Park, for instance, on a Sunday um, is, is that sort of networking system. And it's manifested every June. The first two Sundays in June, the swallows come back to Capistrano, right? The J1ers arrive in New York, right? You can see them coming straight off the plane, Right. Um, and they come in with their backpacks and they're looking for some guy who they know who might will give them a place to stay that night and hopefully give them a job and stuff like that. Now, this is outside the fellows, but we would have sort of said, OK, we have arranged to bring over and play football for the summer. These kids just arrive, and 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 you know you can see them coming up to 40th Street with <laughs> with the backpacks, um, but they're all they're all helped out in some way. They're all, t- I won't say they're all taken care of mag- magically, but I mean they are helped out, and and that sort of connection, that start, that that sort of you know give me some place to stay initially is, is hugely important, and it happens across the globe. Same sort of thing happens down in Sydney, for instance. I have a number of friends who are involved in the GA down there, and there's a consistent number of people going through. The GEA before they well they settle there and then they sort of move up and do their backpacking thing or whatever they want to do around the, the southern hemisphere, um, but I mean it, it's always wonderful to have that friendly face when you get off a plane, you know, um, particularly in, in in a culture that you might not understand, and uh, we, we have a huge hurling club down in Argentina, for instance, um, you know, and, and if one was hitting there, you know, there'd be a friendly face to meet you off, off a plane going into Buenos Aires, for instance. You know, so, we're, so we are everywhere, but it, it, there's kind of a responsibility on those of us who've benefited from that to keep that going to a certain extent. Um, and so, I mean, I'll get phone calls when I was at Seton Hall consistently, you know, people coming out and can you do this? Can you do that? Yeah, we can, and we, we'll try and help you out um, in any way.
0: Um, and as I said, particularly because I benefited hugely from that sort of network, you know. It is a thing of paying it back that, you know, there was a friendly face or a, a, a you know, sort of a, a point at the bar for you when you walked in and someone at least would you know know who you are you know um and we sort of then we paid on to next generation how do we as an organization then make it more welcoming for let's say the non-irish because it's done quite well in america where there are a lot of clubs uh like our own chairperson john was involved up in rochester new york where it's there's Mm. no irish as far as i know and many clubs here in europe there's no irish so how do we Make the GA a more welcoming community for non-Irish. Well, we reach out to them consistently, and and we encourage
1: them to be involved, and 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 we, I suppose, we make them welcome by being sociable sociable with them. And uh, if nothing else, we're good at being social, um, and and welcoming. But, go, but there are Irish in Rochester now. Hold on a second. Oh,
0: you know, it, well, this, this is John's propaganda? Maybe I uh, could kill me right. from the that, <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, there are, and there are, but there there'd be Irish Americans there anyway. Um, you know from, from the Rochester's industrial past um, but you reach out to them consistently and encouraging them to be involved I mean I, I don't think you can do it formally I mean there's no point in setting up a formal program and say welcome to the GA although where we all belong is our mantra you know as a consequence of that we are consistently reaching out to people but it is difficult for people to get involved in a sport that's not part of their culture mm-hmm. you know um, and it much and all as we love the sport um, and we see the benefits of it. Um, when you're out in in, a, in, a foreign, in foreign climes and you're trying to convince people to be involved in it, um, it can be challenging because they obviously have their own dominant culture. They have their own dominant sport. Um, and I suppose at some level, it might be might be easier to do it in places like America, simply because there is no adult competitive sport post the education system. the the idea of you going out and playing you know practicing twice a week with a team of any sort um, and then playing your match or your game at the weekend simply doesn't exist Um, once you leave the education system in america the culture says you give up team competitive team sports Um, and so by offering them that opportunity to play um, you can be welcoming Um, again your 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 issue i suppose is the cultural dominance the cultural dominance says i give up um, and a lot of these fellas doing, you know, 35 years old going out playing junior football in Gaelic Park on a Sunday, um, but having great crack and having 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 great fun is associated with. It. So it it's while it's easy to throw the number of 54 million Irish Americans um, in America, and why aren't why isn't the sport on television on ABC at seven o'clock on a Sunday night, for instance? Um, you have to realize that the the, the cultural background to um, adult participant sport, you know, all the places around the world, you know.
0: As the halftime whistle blows on this Sunday's game, we'd like to thank Larry McCarthy for his time. Of course, he'll be back with us for more next week when he discusses the World Games, his path to the presidency, and what next for the GAA. So until next Sunday, take care of yourselves and each other.